0: My name is Gene Colin and welcome to my studio. Each time I got a story, it was always uppermost in my mind as to how different can I make this one, and this one, and so on. And as they came in, it was I just threw myself into it, lived another life in a sense. I tried to get into that story myself. I tried to jump into the page and try to imagine what it would be like to see it visually as an outsider. When you have developed a style, it's as recognizable as your hand, as your handwriting. Same thing. I wanted the, the story to be sort of uh, mystifying and sinister. And Welcome to another exciting episode of FW Presents, the random catch-all anthology podcast of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm Ryan Daly, coming at you with another installment of Showcase Gene Colan. This time, we are crossing over to the Marvel Comics side of the fence to talk about Gene Colan's work on the Golden Avenger, Iron Man. And if I'm talking about Marvel Comics in general and Iron Man in particular, it sure makes sense to bring in a guest with a passion for this subject. From the Marvel Superheroes Podcast and other shows on the Rolled Spine Network, please welcome Illegal Machine to the show. What's up, Mac?
1: How's it going, Ryan? This is fun.
0: <laughs> it is. I'm, I'm totally excited.
1: I gotta tell you, I gotta be honest with you. Disappointed in the name.
0: My name or the name of the show?
1: Well, both, but mostly the name of the show. Surely you could come up with something more creative.
0: You know, I thought about I dream of Gene for a little while and playing like that backup theme, but No,
1: no, no. You got a riff on the colon. This needs to be the the colon inspection or uh...
0: (laughs) You know you know what? No kidding on like the feedback for the first episode, Martin Gray, I think, left a comment that I should have called it the colonoscopy and I was Uh, like, Oh dude. (laughs) Oh man, that that almost broke me.
1: Hey, uh, could there be anything more played out than Gene colon colon jokes? <laughs> I mean, Jesus Christ. Dude's been dead for, what, eight years or whatever, and we're uh, still making co- – give me a break. All
0: right. So uh, anyway, yeah. Thank you for joining me on this episode of the colon exam.
1: Mm, uh, I like that one yeah. or, No, I don't, I don't like that one. You know what, I mean? You know what yeah.
0: I mean? How and when did you discover Iron Man?
1: Okay, so I was um, a wee lad um, growing up in northern Arizona. And we had a little comic shop there that was – it was uh, – sort of took a backseat as most things did in the early 90s, probably 1992. Uh, took a backseat to sports cards, right, because the sports card mania was mm-hmm. still riding hard at that point. And anyway, I, I was buying – I was there buying sports cards and eventually I sort of made my way back through – I think it was actually like a curtain door like none, like no bullshit. It's like really like a curtain dividing the sports cards from whatever. So anyway, I went back there and I started looking through, flipping through comic books, and I, for some reason, I was just drawn to Iron Man, and it's sort of just been it ever since. And I, don't, I don't know, maybe if it's like the contrarian in me, but then when it turned out that he was actually like super lame in the nineties, it was more like I liked him even more. So uh, I don't know. That's sort of how it is. So uh, it's been a, a long uh, journey from there to here, but. Yeah, he's still my guy.
0: Well, I'm sure in 2008, you felt like you were smarter than everybody else in the room.
1: Oh, have the tables have turned, yes.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, I I actually think I discovered him in 1991, I think. Uh, and it wasn't because of the comics, actually. The first place I think I saw him was the Toy Biz Iron Man action figure that came out of their Marvel Super Heroes line, uh, where you could actually take off his helmet his like chest and back armor to just relieve like, relieve like his white skin underneath with like the 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 circular uh, piece in his chest um, and his his boots and wrist gauntlets and stuff like that. After that, I I wasn't picking up his contemporary issues for a little bit, but I would get. Weird random back issues if they were in like cheap bins, or sometimes like one of my stores did a lot of like blind grab bags, like they just had like a brown bag that was all taped up, and it's like you get like 10 random books for you know $5, $2 or something like that. You know, it ended up being the equivalent of like a quarter or a 50 cent bin. And I do remember getting issue. 222, which had him in the Silver Centurion armor, lifting up a tank or something on the cover. Yeah. And I just thought it was a really badass image. It's always been one of my favorite Iron Man images ever since then. And then I do, I think I started reading the book for six months to a year right as they were introducing War Machine, when Rhodes was actually getting his own War Machine armor, like the black and gray.
1: Lynn Kaminsky's uh, yep, run? Yep, yep. Good stuff. Kaminsky
0: yeah. And who was the artist on that one.
1: Paul Ryan um, I think did it for a while. You had um,
0: I don't remember Paul Ryan on those issues. I think maybe he was. I don't remember. I, uh, Gosh, I want to say it was some name that, I've, that I haven't don't associate with anything else. Anyway. Yeah, doesn't matter. Um, it does
1: matter. It does not matter.
0: Internet, <laughs> save us! Alright, who the hell drew? It was like issue 290. Who the hell was drawing it around Iron Man 290? Kevin Hopgood.
1: Kevin Hopgood, that's who it was.
0: Yeah, um, so I, I got there around the same time, and he was it was a character like, I, I always wanted to dive into Iron Man, I just thought there was a lot of potential there, even when I wasn't necessarily satisfied with the stories. Because uh, even when they did the whole Heroes Reborn relaunch, when all of the all the Image guys came back to take over the non-X-Men and Spider-Man titles that were, that were flagging, I gave Fantastic Four a shot because of Jim Lee, but it didn't really kick with me. Um, But I stayed with Iron Man for like four or five months with the Wills Portacio art um, because I always really liked Wills Portacio for some reason. I I liked him on the X-Men. I loved Wetworks at first. But, yeah, so that was something – a character that I always really, really liked. Yeah.
1: You know, back to Kevin Hopgood. I want to shout my guy out here. In my opinion, the dude gets no recognition so little I forgot his name. Um, (laughs) Yeah. He gets so little recognition, but in my opinion, he really designed the modern look for Iron Man. Mm-hmm. Um, who, who's the the like super photorealistic uh, painter that does did all the Iron Man covers that is like plastered everywhere? Oh, um,
0: oh God, I, we are just we I know. I was going to call. I was going to say Aviar Rod, but that's not right. It's some. I was going to do the Ari, same thing. Ari Grenoff. Yeah. Addie Gra-
1: Grenoff. Everybody seems to. He seems like a cool dude. By the way, he, follow him on Instagram. He does like. Apparently, he's like. Tools number one artist, and he does all of Tools' <laughs> wow. tour posters. It's, it's bizarre. Anyway, um, but everybody I think kind of credits him for the modern Iron Man look, but the deletion of the mouth mm. is totally hop good He's the one that did it with the War Machine and the modular armors. In my opinion, I, I mean, I know it appeared a couple times before with some of the old like specialized armors that Bob Layton did, but to me. All it's it was mostly that modular armor. They call it the modular armor. Yeah, Iron yeah. Man number three hundred, where he could like take you know he would turn into Hulk Basically, he could build his armor different ways and stuff. To me, oh that started all of this look, and I feel like the dude gets no credit for that, and I wish he would get some because. In my opinion, he really did create this modern image of Iron Man. Back in my day, it was the classic armor, right, with the sort of the flares on the shoulders and the weird like not nipple nipple things. (laughs) That was Iron Man back then, but now it's totally not. I think it started with Kevin Hopkins, which is really weird. Sorry. We're going way off topic here, but right. I guess it's sort of sort of semi on topic on topic, no, but well, I want I mean, shout- to that,
0: that was segueing into my next sort of uh, topic which was kind of a- as you read more of the character, more of his history and back issues and everything, do you have a favorite run or runs like uh, based on either creators or storylines?
1: Yeah, it's the the uh, Dave Michelini, Leighton, Ramita first run and then um, probably that Kaminsky stuff since that was the stuff I was sort of growing up with uh, I've always really really liked that stuff and some of it um, you know and, and again we, we got Hulkbuster out of that too it was in a freaking yeah. movie dude Hulkbuster was like in two huge movies that that was all came out of that um, that era yeah. so uh, there was like the hands of the Mandarin mm-hmm. Um
0: I mean, just the, the creation of War Machine and that visual look and how much mileage they've gotten out of that. He, War Machine might end up with his own Disney Plus series in the future. Right? Like, no, I've man, heard that rumor for a while now. But.
1: That was Kaminsky and Hopgood. I mean, like, if you look at all the, the, the modern-day Iron Man mythos that came out of that weird run in the 90s, it's, it's really interesting anyway.
0: But I... I, I they don't get any shout out but. i co-signed the Miney Ramita jr and Layton issues. I love that story. I like when uh Dave McLeney came back for the with um, Mark bright for the armor wars storyline yeah. yeah
1: yeah 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 term- we we talked this funny story here we we talked to me uh fix it and uh this guy Diablo Frank I don't know if you've ever heard of him we uh we go to some comic conventions all the time and we actually met Bob Layton at one of them and you know we were talking to him about how he he's like the Borg he like assimilates whoever he inks he doesn't really ink he's a finisher right yeah, where yeah, yeah. he'll take some rough pencils and by the time you're done it looks like you're basically like 85% Bob Layton because he does the Mark Bright stuff um the only person he couldn't really assimilate is somebody like Barry Windsor Smith who is just Barry Windsor Smith. Like, right. it's kind of hard to change Barry Windsor Smith. But he sort of gave us this, like, wink when we were telling him that. We we're like, dude, Ramita's second run without you was such garbage. And he was sort of looking <laughs> at us like, yeah, I know. It was so funny.
0: <laughs> yeah, and then, and then I would also give a shout out to, more recently, uh, the Matt Fraction and Salvador LaRocca run of Invincible Iron Man that came out right after the movies launched. That was actually a really impressive run for a couple of years. Um, definitely tapped into the sort of. Zeitgeist of the type of Tony Stark that they were doing for the movies, uh really playing up who Pepper was and, and that romance and everything, uh, kind of deviating. But um I mean that introduced her putting on the armor as rescue and stuff like that and uh and uh whole the whole Ezekiel Stain with Stain's son coming back as the villain. Uh, I like that run too. I thought that was pretty
1: solid for a while. I've he- I've heard really good things about that, and then uh, I've also heard that as an old school Iron Man reader to stay away from it. Mm-hmm. So I kind of stayed away from it. but
0: yeah, I mean, maybe now there are enough distance has passed from it because I can't. I mean, it's been uh, ten. Uh, it's been yeah, a decade, I guess so.
1: You know, and, and I'm not really as um, I used to be like a devout um, Marvel continuity stan, where it was like this is violating continuity. We can't do re. This was pre Heroes Reborn, where it's like you can't reboot. We can't reboot. And then yeah, anyway, so yeah. I there's this guy I don't know if you heard him, J- uh, Joe Cazada. and I sort of got into a big. Internet hubbub blue with Joe Cazada because and it all started. I don't know if I've ever told the story on any podcast. Anyway, it all started when Marvel Comics, back in the freaking late nineties, early two thousands, they literally had like a comments section on their website. Like, no, mm-hmm. no company in their right mind would do this now, but it could literally you could just send a comment. So I, I think I had a web TV. Do you know? Do you remember what web TV was? Yeah, it was like yeah. a, straight up a box you would just plug with a coaxial yeah. into your TV. And um, for the pores, that was like the cheapest way because I want to say it was like 10 bucks a month to access the internet. All you had to do was buy the box. I think the box was fairly cheap too. And I think after we got ours, our friend Diablo Frank went and did his and he started um, the Idlehead of Diablo on Web TV freaking decades ago. So uh, – and I had an Iron Man site that has long since gone. I don't even think it's on the uh, – what do you call it? Um, Wayback Machine. I don't think I can find it. But anyway, so I sent a message to Joe Kezada and – it was right after he'd taken over Iron Man, and I was like, this is trash. You guys are like destroying the character. You're just jettisoning all all of his history. I've been reading this book for all these years, and you're saying everything I've read up to this point is useless, right? Like it, it doesn't mean anything because back then, that was kind of the first time they'd done that at, at, at Marvel, right? At <laughs> sure, DC, they had done it. it a few seems times. so
0: quaint today. <laughs>
1: I know now it's just like oh big deal we got our you know we get our minds wiped every couple months or whatever so uh, anyway he replied to me and was like hey man you know look I understand your concerns blah 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 I gotta go see if I can find these emails somewhere but uh, anyway so I invited him to a message board I was on and I was like well why don't you come talk it out with us because we're all pissed off and because the internet was still kind of new he did it <laughs> and he came on this message board and he started talking with us and uh, I got into these just huge flame wars with him and Kurt Busiek, and I want to say who I don't think it was mad Fraction, somebody who had just done a Punisher series um I'd gotten into on the internet and he sort of capped at me in an interview that I don't think it was in Wizard because I think Wizard might have been gone by then he capped on me not by name but it was so obviously it was talking about me because of a, a, a recent run-in we'd have and then Joe Cazada put a line I cannot remember the issue number I should have dug it up before we did this I didn't think we were gonna go on this tangent um there's an issue of Joe Kazada's run where he is – I'm telling you, dude, because he even said something in a post to me. Like I put something on the next issue for you or something like that. And there's a shot at me in an issue of Iron Man, which I will wear as a badge of honor um, to this day that Joe who is who was you know, king shit at Marvel, <laughs> took a sh- took a shot at a troll on the internet. Um, although I don't think it was a troll back then. I think my heart was in the right place. It was just – there were different times. <laughs> there were different times. Anyway
0: oh wow that's a wow I didn't know that that was a good story um,
1: hey, there's, uh, behind the music or whatever this is VH1 right
0: <laughs> alright listeners um, by now you might have noticed that we were talking about a whole lot of creators and talent that aren't any of them Gene Colan
1: none so, are Gene Colan <laughs>
0: yeah uh, we're going to take a quick promo break right now but we will be back in a minute to talk about a story from Tales of Suspense number 95 stick around Talk
1: all right, you guys want to hear my song?
0: I'm in the middle of this parking lot, and I just start
1: dancing. It's probably my favorite song of all. Roll station, wreck the DJ. Welcome to one song each. We're gonna take a few minutes to talk about a song. Choose without consulting the others, and we play the song and then comment with a story, an anecdote, the artist's career overall, a particular album, the actual meaning of the song, or more history, what it triggers in your memory, or stuff of that. I'll interject some factoids about the song. We're gonna talk about one song. The B sides will be with a variety of guests. It sort of became our song. I'm the- it can either be technical or more intimate. At least let me get drunk to enjoy the song. Like you can't play it while we're sober. That's not fair. Do you like
0: good music? That's one to me.
1: This is a Roll Spine podcast.
0: Tales of Suspense 95 has a cover date of November 1967, but according to Mike's Amazing World of Comics, the actual on-sale date was August 1st, 67. The price tag for this issue was a staggering 12 cents. At the time this comic was published, Tales of Suspense was a split comic with Iron Man taking up half the issue and Captain America the other half. The two characters alternated covers, but luckily for us, this month was an Iron Man cover. Drawn by Gene Colan with Frank Jaquia inks, the cover shows Iron Man about to engage in what looks like a dance-off with the gray gargoyle. In the background, you see the gargoyle has already touched a bespectacled man, turning him into stone. Mac, what do you think of this cover?
1: Uh, as with all the Iron Man covers for Tales of Suspense, I think they all look great. I think all he's got. He, I think he always had the better covers between whenever. because when he and Captain, America, I don't think did it alternate every other issue was it an Iron Man and a Cap and Iron Man Cap. Um, uh,
0: for a, for a while, at least by this time, yeah.
1: But no offense to Jack Kirby because he is Jack Kirby. I think Gene did a better job on Tales of Suspense with these covers, but that's just my opinion. I like this cover.
0: Yeah, I like it too. I I think I mean. Iron Man is in these, like, a very bold, kind of, exaggerated position, but, uh, as we'll see throughout this issue, actually, the way Colin draws Iron Man, and you wouldn't think, I mean, Colin, I, I mean, as I've kind of gone through him, like, Colin was known for having kind of really soft-featured, like, fluid lines around his characters. There wasn't a lot of like straight, angular things. You think that would be the opposite of what you would expect from Iron Man, especially with the modern version of the Iron Man that we were kind of talking about, with the the way the um, Hopgood and, and Kaminsky, or not Hopgood and Kaminsky, Hopgood and Lady, like a, someone like an Adi Granov kind of designed it with these like harsh, you know, features, but. Iron Man is like just very soft in here, but the way Clint draws it, his hands look a little bit over exaggerated and big, and his feet look a little bit too big, and the shoulders. But in a way that I think it kind of works for a character that is supposed to have some kind of robotic resemblance. So something about it, I just think it works.
1: Yeah, G- Gene does a really good. It's a different take on Iron Man than we're kind of what we're used to, especially when you look compared to like the latent stuff where it's mm-hmm. like. Everything has been polished, you know, for 10,000 hours. There's just sparkles and lens flares coming off of the armor everywhere, and Gene does none of that. But I don't know, really, with the name Iron Man, I, in a lot of ways, the – you know, it's not Chrome Man, it's Iron Man. It kind of works with when you kind of think of it that way because you're right. Gene is very soft pencils, not a lot of like sparkles everywhere. So, but I don't know. I'm, I'm just so used to his Iron Man. I, I love it.
0: Actually, his position, he almost looks like he's a discus thrower and that the thing at his hip is like a discus that he's going to pick yeah, up
1: like, chuck. Like he just tossed one and that's the other one.
0: <laughs> All right, let's get into the story. If a Man Be Stone is written and edited by Smilin' Stan Lee and drawn by genial Gene Colin, with inks by Frank Jacoya and letters by Gaspar Saladino, who is credited as L.P. Gregory. Tony Stark arrives at his Stark Enterprises factory to find security on high alert. The guards are assembling outside with guns drawn and pointing floodlights at the windows. The head of security tells him that some mysterious intruder entered the factory, slipping past security and knocking one of the guards out with a pen-shaped gas gun. Tony doesn't want any of his projects to fall into the wrong hands, which makes some sense. So he leads a team into the factory as himself, Tony Stark, which makes less sense than sneaking away and putting on his Iron Man suit. Tony and his men search the factory and eventually find the intruder just chilling in the office. It is Special Agent Jasper Sitwell of S.H.I.E.L.D. He tells Tony that Nick Fury assigned him to the factory to keep an eye on things, specifically regarding Iron Man and the S.H.I.E.L.D. tech that Stark is developing. You can imagine how much Tony likes that idea, but he tolerates Sitwell's presence. Elsewhere, the Grey Gargoyle escapes from prison because... He can fly? Really? The prison guards seem like they knew this and just didn't think of any kind of deterrence. Was the gargoyle on the honor system to not escape? At his hideout, the Grey Gargoyle's alias, Paul Duval, reads about the latest Stark weapon, which could make him powerful enough to defeat Thor and claim his mighty hammer. That would make Grey Gargoyle immortal, I guess. So Duval uses his magic potion to turn back into the Grey Gargoyle. He goes to the Stark Enterprises factory and jumps over the fence, turning two guards into stone in the process. Inside, Agent Sitwell attempts to shame Tony into changing his playboy lifestyle, while Tony checks his urge to kick him off as property, when suddenly the alarm goes off. Sitwell leaves to check it out, giving Tony enough time to change into Iron Man. Sitwell finds Gray Gargoyle and tries to knock him out with the same pen-like gas gun he used on the guard. It has no effect on the Gargoyle. Otherwise, this book would be called The Invincible Jasper Sitwell. Iron Man saves Sitwell by blasting Gray Gargoyle with his repulsors, but they don't stop him for long. Gargoyle picks up debris, turning it to stone, and hurls it at Iron Man. The Golden Avenger tries to knock him out with one massive punch, but it's not strong enough, and his hand begins turning to stone upon contact. Sitwell runs outside to Radio Shield for backup, but they don't respond. Iron Man tries to take Gargoyle out with his boot jets, but they don't face him, and the baddie gets his hands on Iron Man, turning his entire suit to solid stone. The Gargoyle carries the stonified, whatever, Iron Man up to the roof. Down below, Sitwell looks up just in time to see Grey Gargoyle throw Iron Man from the roof. And this story is to be continued. All right, Mac, what did you think?
1: Um, I thought it was definitely one part of two. <laughs> it was you know what it was funny when you when you reached out to me about this issue i thought for sure i had this issue and the reason i thought for sure i had this issue is because i have part 2 i never got part 1 <laughs> so when i realized this i bought part i bought this issue i actually went on to the ebay and purchased Tales of Suspense number five ninety five. so now I have 95 and 96 Nice. how about that thank you for helping me complete this story I, um, and I, by
0: the way like as I I kind of mentioned this in one of the previous episodes about this like I, I unfortunately I, I'm not going to be going through this series of Gene Cole and Spotlights picking necessarily the best, like I don't know what would be considered his best issue of Iron Man, and whatever it is, I'm sure is pretty expensive. I picked this one because I found it it have been for a cheap price that I could afford. and So, it was just one way to spotlight his work on the series without necessarily being the definitive Iron Man story.
1: Oh, no, for sure. I get that. Well, I mean, he drew Iron Man number one. That would probably be, although I think that was the only issue he drew when it went from when he rolled off the of Tales of suspense and into his own series. I think Gene only did Iron Man number one, but that one a little pricey um okay so story-wise it's kind of just marvel in the 60s right i mean there's nothing really there's some cool kooky banter between him and jasper sitwell which actually i thought was the best part of this whole issue he he and jasper going back and forth where jasper is trying to convince him to give up the playboy lifestyle and become a devout agent of shield is hilarious um, and I was not expecting that level of uh of banter between the two. Moreover, there is when um the gray gargoyle turns into the gray gargoyle from what what is his, what is his name? Paul Duvall. Paul when Paul Duvall turns into the gray gargoyle, it is one of the greatest villain transformations or transformations I've ever read in my entire life. So I'm going to read this passage that he says, and if you want to in post, you can add a little of that <laughs> mood, waka chica music to the background. And this is what he goes. He goes, all I need to do is apply my secret potion once more so the potion which caused my hand to turn to stone those many long months ago. Then all that remains is to rub my hand lightly over the rest of my body <laughs> until I've completely transformed. <laughs> Rock hard. <laughs> That is some sensual sensual stuff there. He didn't say rock hard. I just felt like he was saying it with his eyes when I read the panel. But we the rest of that, it. the rest of that is straight out of the book, dude. He <laughs> seriously all I have to do is rub my hand lightly all over the rest of my body. And I was like I was crying reading that. It was beautiful. It's like poetry.
0: Did you ever watch The State, the MTV sketch comedy show?
1: Of course I watched The State. Of course I did.
0: Do you remember Barry and Levon?
1: Of course, of course, man. We are children of the '90s. Of course, I do.
0: Two hundred and forty eight dollars oh, worth yeah. of pudding.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, that's what I'm. That's Nobody what I'm is. Is anybody going to get that? That is listening to this.
0: Uh, we'll see.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, I'll Google find it. it. Google it, kids. you will find, find, find out in the it. comments
0: section. Uh, yeah, and. And I gotta say, like, I, I've i always thought Greg Gargoyle was a cool villain. I don't necessarily know why, but in particular, I like, I, I think something about him, well, the fact that he's a gargoyle, and even though the face is just kind of like, it looks like a human wearing a, a bandito mask, of all things, he looks like a normal human, but he's got like the weird stripy, uh, like, socks and gloves and the cape, but... The gargoyle nature, the stote effect—something about him feels very gothic to me—and I think that's perfect for Gene Colan and his style. So I really, really like the way Colan draws him. Um, everything from, like, I mean, his usual heavy effects, heavy shadows and, and lines, and everything—I think he just does a, a really good job with uh, with the great gargoyle, especially in that transformation scene and on the top of page. Uh, was that five? Yeah.
1: He does a great job, too, in the fight scenes because, you know, as he's touching things, they're turning to stone. So, like, Iron Man shoots a repulsor blast at him and he, like, turns it to stone and then hits him back with it. Or, like, when Sitwell shoots him with the gas pin and Gargoyle turns it to stone and then throws it at him like a little missile or dart. <laughs> yeah, I mean, stuff like that's cool. But I will say Greg Gargoyle is one of these dudes who I just have no idea how his powers actually work. <laughs> Like, it's him, it's Midas, who's another Iron Man villain who pops up and all that stuff, mm-hmm. and absorbing man. Like, I, I just can't tell, like, what, when does your power work and when doesn't it work? Like, I mean, you can't shake people's hands. Can, can you, like, eat food? How do you eat food without, you know what I mean? Like, it's so bizarre. This, such, but anyway, it's kind of books. Turn your brain off. Exactly. But, I, I mean, if you can turn stuff to stone, dude, you're going to be basically invincible. I mean, like. Or you're gonna starve to death. Like I don't know which one it is, but anyway,
0: I—I I mean, in terms of like story beats, uh, first of all, it is a little bit weird that Tony Stark leads the security team inside instead of getting Iron Man when there's an intruder, like possibly stealing Stark technology in there. But I do kind of like that because it shows that Tony, on his own, is a man of action, and even if he didn't have a superpower, he would be a take charge type of guy, and 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 might even have a kind of. A sort of innate heroism about him, which is not the type of Tony you might necessarily think of if you just think about you know, his origin story and the movie and everything like that. But I think at this point, in, at least in his career, we know enough about Tony that armor or not, he's going to do what he can to save the
1: day. Yeah, and it, and it helps drive home the point that Sitwell's making, where he's just saying Nick's noticed that either you or to- you or Iron Man are not here all the time, so someone's got to be. And it's like, like this time where Iron Man's nowhere to be found, he's like, "Oh shit, no, <laughs> yeah, he's right."
0: speaking of sitwell like this i mean this is completely different than the mcu version but even though, i mean it's it's not a direct comparison but i couldn't help but think of clark gregg's agent colson uh when i was reading this jasper sitwell and i wonder why they if they ever considered making him that character uh when they were writing the movie or or yeah he's not quite Go. that uptight boy scout clark gregg definitely has brings more of the sardonic quality to him
1: but yeah I think there are a lot of guys like that in the m c u where they obviously just took a name and slapped them on a different character or or there's some kind of amalgam of a few other characters you know what I mean and they just needed hey we need a shield agent let's just grab a name or you know but yeah I think he would have been great as just Jasper said well it would have been yeah. It would have been fine,
0: but I also like I mean, Sitwell, you know, he's got the, the cropped. I mean, it, is this is you know in the the '60s and everything? But he's got like the the close, like the crew cut, you know, the the type of eyeglasses and everything like that. He's got a bow tie. He looks kind of like a stereotypical pencil pusher pusher nerd. Like this is the type of character you would expect would be the accountant to you know the secret agent type of character. Um, and he's definitely you know he's he's trying to argue that Tony should give up being a freewheeling millionaire who you know drives fast cars and has sex with ladies and everything. It's like why, like why would we want him to do that? Like why would he we want Tony Stark to be more like you? but at the same time, Jasper Sitwell, when he doesn't know that Tony is Iron Man, he is quick to throw himself in the way of danger. He goes after Greg Gargoyle first. He tries to knock him out by himself. He's completely ineffectual at in this point, but it's not for lack of trying. It's not for any kind of cowardice. So I like that they gave Sitwell that type of characterization.
1: Yeah, they let him like, legit get the first crack at Gargoyle. Like, and, and it wasn't like a, he ran up and got slapped. I mean, he, he dodged a few shots before he finally uh, was turned to stone, which was I thought was kind of cool.
0: Yeah, but yeah, like other other little things about like the art. Um, right on page two in the bottom, when uh, when Tony is running into the office, with the, like uh, nobody ran like they did in Gene Colan pictures. Like the way like capes or suit jackets or things are—they're always fluttering outwards. They're always billowing when people are running, and like the way he drew like a front forward and everything. Like kind of like lifting up, so you see the bottom of the shoe. There's just like if you took away everything else in that page, it just showed me that Tony Stark running that way. I would say that was a Gene Colan drawing, just because of the composition of how the character looks when he's running.
1: Yeah, you're right. So from panel two to three on that page, one where he's running to his left Mm -hmm. and his coat his coat is blowing to the left, and (laughs) and then the next panel he's running towards you, so his you know, you kind of see it more symmetrical on both sides of his body. I mean, little stuff like that. I feel those are details that people just yeah. like. Let's put some more hatching on it, but it's not really doesn't really make any sense. Whereas this, he's he's really paying attention to. This guy is running to his left, so his coat's going kind to of flap to the right. You know what I mean? And and stuff like that. That I think you're right. It kind of gets lost. That he's really really good at. Yeah. That and he wor- he works cloth like nobody's business. So that <laughs> it helps too.
0: I don't believe flight is in the Gray Gargoyles uh, power set. I don't. I don't know if that has ever come up anywhere else. And I kind of wonder if Gene Colan didn't know that when he drew this because he never worked on Thor before this. So I think he just drew that. He assumed ah, oh, Gargoyle he could fly, and had him escape that way. And Stan was in this. He's like, uh hmm, what am I going to dialogue this panel?
1: Yeah, that was interesting. And really the whole concept of the fact that he's trying to steal from Tony Stark, not to kill Iron Man, <laughs> but to kill Thor, yeah. is sort of weird. like the whole – this is a plot of a Thor comic, not an Iron Man comic. Like it's really strange. And I thought about I was like, wait, wait, wait. He's stealing this to go after – because I was like okay, – I was reading that panel where he's like, I need to be immortal so the Grey Gargoyle can never die. And he's like, I need to steal Mjolnir. And I'm like, wait, what? Did I grab a Tales to Astonish issue? Did i grab, like like, does this coming from? It was – Okay, but I guess if that's his deal, that's his deal. So.
0: <laughs> it's like very much a Silver Age plan where it's like, I need to steal the ultimate weather device so I can defeat the superhero. It's like, wait a minute. If you stop your plan one step for earlier, you've actually done a pretty great success story
1: there. I'm, okay, so I'm a car guy. So I geeked out with a couple of cars in here. First page, that is a um, really, really good rendering of a 1960s Jaguar E-Type. I mean, that it's like spot on. That is, nice. That is a Jaguar E-Type, grill and everything. Uh, He didn't draw some like rando, like sort of Aston Martin sort of Corvette-looking thing. That is a Jaguar E-Type. You can can Google 1967 Jaguar E-Type, and that's exactly what – a convertible. That's exactly what he drew. Very cool. So then a couple pages later, there's a dump truck. I swear to you, that's a Dodge D200. I don't think they made Dodge D200 dump trucks, so I could be wrong But the front of a Dodge D100 and D200 from the early 60s have this weird – they kind of almost look like uh, a spider. They're like spider eyes. They got two big headlights and one headlight centered underneath them. It's a super unique look. Um, So as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, shit, that's an early 60s Dodge. But I, I don't know if they ever made uh, dump truck versions of them. So for all I know, Peterbilt or Mac made some sort of variation that looked like that too. But to me, that looked like a Dodge D200, so I freaked out. Because even the girl looks like a Dodge D200. Again, nobody cares about this listing right now, <laughs> but I noticed it, so whatever. It's a thing. I um, mean,
0: if, it's, if it's showing that he was actually putting that level of detail and that thought and, like studying that, then I'm, I'm even more so impressed.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I guess this was the late '62, so they were driving around. So maybe it's not as spectacular. It is like if somebody in 2020 picked a 1962 Dodge T- <laughs> D200 to draw, I would really be freaking out. So I guess it's period correct. It's not that big a deal, but I don't know. I, I just noticed. I think it's super cool. Yeah, very
0: cool. All right. Uh, all right uh, before we wrap it up, one of the questions that I'm going to have for all of these features. If you could take one page of original art from this story, what page would you want, and why?
1: Excellent question. Give me one second to mull this over.
0: I mean, What's now that, that I know how, now that I know how impressive that car is on page one. I mean, I knew, I knew that you were a car guy, but that's pretty. Google
1: smart. it, dude. Google a nineteen sixty seven Jaguar E Type. You're like, holy hell, he hit that like spot on. Um, yeah, so we probably would be paid the splash page on page one. If not. I would kind of like to see the raw pencils and inks for the page. Actually, it's it's a coincidence, page 8 with the D200 on it. But uh, when he does this, like, he tries to punch him fast so that his hand doesn't turn to stone. And he does this really cool, like, straight punch, and then he draws over it, his hand retracting back. It's it's on the – there's a middle three panel. It's the middle panel where he's trying to, like, pop him real fast. And I wouldn't even know how to draw that. Statically, Like, how would you even convey that in a single page but it, or in a, in a single panel? But he does this cool, like, it's like he's jabbing. Like, you can tell that's a jab, not like a haymaker, right? And so I just love that panel, that little pop. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work. His hand turns to stone. But I would really like to see that uncolored pencil and ink. I think that would look really, really cool. And if not that one, there's another page where the gargoyle throw – the gray gargoyle throws a really, really nice – punch at uh jasper sitwell it's the very last panel on the page and it looks like it's very kirby-esque like you can see the movement of the weight he's punching he looks like sitwell dodged the punch and he's punching into a wall and you see the wall like kind of blowing up Mm -hmm. Uh, love the movement in that panel so i'd love to see that one too and then the top panel on that one where uh greg is breaking through a wall a steel wall or whatever into the room they're in yeah um i think that would be a really cool page to see too
0: yeah, I like the page after that. It's just three panels on the whole page, but the first one is just the fist coming through the wall as Tony is getting dressed, and then them fighting. And by the end of it, while well, trying to spray him, yeah, I mean almost any of the action pages. They they all have their their merits for different reasons. So it would
1: be. yeah, and and you know it's it's there is the challenge of drawing these fight scenes against the Grey Gargoyle because they can't touch each other. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of dodging. It's not just two guys slugging each other over and over again and knocking, you know, cause it's just, oh, Haymaker, Haymaker, Haymaker. He is. He's, he's dodging because he can't get touched. If he gets touched, it's, it's, it's game over. So he, there's lots of dodging and he's swinging and missing and smashing walls. And then, like I said, that the jab he tried to throw at him. Mm-hmm. Lots of really interesting um, choreography in, in this fight scene.
0: I also, I liked the page earlier when it's just at the end of his his very sensual transformation, as you described it, uh, just like the the transformation with the gargoyle in that top right panel, just sort of like looking out across over the city from the window, uh, and then we see him in action. I mean, it doesn't have Iron Man in the page, but just as a as a villain spread, I, I like that page too. So maybe that one- Very
1: very daredevil Batman esque.
0: Yeah, hard to hard to decide for this one because there's just every page is really really good, but uh, that's that's up. <laughs> That's not a bad problem to have, especially given that it's a hypothetical since I don't have access to any of these original pages. But um,
1: So so can I confess something? Absolutely. I don't think uh, – is it Frank Jacoya? Frank Jacoya, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't think he's a great anchor on Gene Colan. I think it's pretty good. But it's, to, in my opinion, this is not Gene's best stuff. Even within this Iron Man run, um, I don't think it's his best stuff. Although he, I believe he did ink him the majority of the time. So I don't know. Do you have like an essential around you can flip back to another issue?
0: I don't have it with me right oh, now. You got to bring up some Marvel Unlimited, bro. I've got Marvel Unlimited with me.
1: So if you go to Iron Man, uh, Tales of Suspense, issue number 81. So this issue is inked by Gary Michaels. Who is, um, let me Gary see, Michaels. what's his? Is that a it's a pseudonym. It's a pseudonym. Hold on. Now I've lost myself in my notes. Good Lord. Jack Abel okay. is the inker. Okay. Pseudonym Gary Michaels. To me, like I would take any page out of, like I just happened to have issue 81 on hand when I was slipping through it. Um, and I think he inked him for maybe 10 issues or so. But to me, this stuff looks incredible. The very first splash page of issue 81, and I know we're not talking about this mm-hmm. issue and I apologize. No, that's fine but to me this looks more like i remember gene colman like really so, almost like noir mm-hmm. right it's just got a different vibe to it than these more superheroesque uh, iron man issues which i think a lot of it has to do with the inking of uh, frank jacoya uh, it's not bad i'm not saying it's bad i'm just saying this is the this stuff is super super nice so you if anyone this wants,
0: reminds me of and i i bet When Colin first came back to Marvel, he was working on the Submariner strip when it was split with the Hulk in Tales to Astonish. And a lot of those issues, actually, Gene Colin was going by the name Adam Austin. He was was drawing under a pseudonym because he was contracted at DC and moonlighting at Marvel, and he didn't want DC to find out. There was at least one issue in that that I think probably had the same inker, this Jack Abel. And the reason why that leaps out at me more so is because there was a story that guest starred Hank Pym and Janet Van Dyne, and they looked in a way I have never seen them look in any other book. Like, and and but it really reminds me of what Tony looks like in this, in this, uh, in that first splash page from '81. So I would bet that that was probably Jack Abel inking. Uh, Gene Colan on that issue of Tales to Astonish too
1: what is home dude's name that was uh, he played Tony's father and he was preacher what is that dude's name the British guy
0: oh uh, John Slattery was the older Howard Stark yeah, the young yeah, Howard yep, Stark yep. was
1: what is his name we keep spacing out on this podcast
0: I know are you thinking that that's yeah I, well, Are you?
1: tell me that it? doesn't look like his Howard Stark
0: it does actually that. it looks a lot like his Howard Stark now this is going to bother me. Why the hell can I
1: Dominic Cooper. Yeah, he looks exactly like Dominic Cooper on that – his Howard Stark on that – It does, paper. yeah. Right. <laughs> it looks a
0: lot like him.
1: Anyway, I really like that. I don't know if it kind of has like a, a Wally Wood kind of Kurt Swan-ish vibe to it or something, but I, I just – I was flipping through some of these issues to kind of refresh my, my Gene Cole and uh,
0: – I think like there's definitely – I think some of the – pencils around like the edges of the head look a little bit thinner than what i usually associate with uh with colon and everything um like there's there's definitely a shadowing but it doesn't feel as deep and and kind of intrusive so
1: anyway i think it really works for for titanium man too titanium man's this issue just because of mm-hmm. the, the big glowing eyes he's kind of got this old school pulp like noir look yeah. to him yeah um and i think it really works with them but anyway that's gene's my guy so I'm not going to say anything about Gene, but anyway, yeah. he took over for Don Heck. How can I not love him for that? Just kidding. <laughs> shout shout out Don Heck, also my guy.
0: Don Heck did a lot of good stuff. I don't, I don't. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't want to say more. He he wasn't necessarily the most exciting artist, but uh, he he did. He was a good. <laughs> yeah.
1: So since this is episode three of your uh, Colin cast, have you read this anecdote on, on Gene Cullen's Wikipedia page about Stan, him and Stanley? Uh, I, can I, I be the first to read it on your podcast? Cause yeah. it's, it's, it's all great. Okay. It says Stan, this is a quote from Gene. Stan asked me to come over and work with him. I don't remember how, but I do remember that we made a connection and he asked me, how about coming over? And so my answer was, I think it was at his house. Uh, I had some work to deliver late one night and it was wintertime And went over and delivered it. And he asked me to come over to Marvel and I said, well, uh, what's the inducement? Why should I leave DC and come work with you unless there's a little something in it for me to do that? Uh, I'm not just going to leave them, DC. He said, well, if you're looking for money, there's no point to it. And I said, what do you mean? He said, simply because sooner or later, they're going to have to fire you and you'll have to come work over here because there's only two comic book companies, right? Uh, And he said – I laughed and I smiled and I said, Stan, I think I have to go. And I shook his hand and I said, that's okay, I'll just stay where I am. He said the next day he got a phone call from Stan and he said, uh, because I asked for money, he gave it to me. He tried to bluff me and then I came over to Marvel. And so that's how he left DC and went to Marvel. He just called Stan's bluff and then got paid, which I thought was hilarious, dude. (laughs) Freaking Stan. Of course Stan would work that, right? Of course. But he's also not wrong. If you got fired from DC, where the hell else were you going to go, dude? So.
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Gosh, yeah. So uh, this is only part of a story, so we're not getting the whole thing. But just within these pages, um, in terms of story and plot, I like the I I like you. I really like the scenes between Tony and Sitwell of them just playing off of each other as two opposite types. I like the action. I think Greg Gargoyle is a cool little foil for Iron Man. I think that it looks great. It feels great. And and if readers. Want to know what happens next and how the stoned Iron Man gets saved? Uh, You'll have to check out issue 96. Before we sign off, uh, I did just kind of want to ask you, you talked about how much you liked Iron Man before he was cool. Now that, for as far as we know, the story of Tony Stark and Iron Man is concluded in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. How do you think that journey went?
1: Uh, I think it was, for me as a longtime Iron Man fan, part of me was thrilled with it. And part of me sort of has this, but it's kind of just the. When you're dealing in film, you know, and not TV or something like that, you sort of have to settle. But really, you know, we only got the three Iron Man movies. Mm-hmm. And really, you know, I'm sure he was probably the star of Civil War, which was a Captain America movie, and he was kind of the star of, you know, the Avengers movies. That's great, but you didn't really get to tell any Iron Man stories. Like, did in Iron Man 2, they touched on it. Did we really get the demon in a bottle we were looking for? Not really. We didn't really get a Mandarin story. Did he appear in Iron Man 3? Yeah, What I think that the movie would have been much better if that was the main villain um, instead of going with the extremists and instead of having the okey doke fake out with Mandarin. Mm-hmm. But w- we're just we're never going to get it. Like, but without Robert Downey Jr., I don't want to do it either. So, and I feel the same way with Captain America. I, I mentioned this in a million podcasts. I think that you know we got some great Captain America movies, great Captain America movies. But man, how would how would we not have loved to have seen the second round with Red Skull mm-hmm. or? any of the other captain america stories that have been so great through the years we we just knew the man without a country or something like, you know we've never got any of this stuff really we kind of got a pseudo version of it we get the pseudo nomad kinda you know what i mean but so much of it was part of being the shared universe in a lot of ways we just we didn't get that stuff that i really really wanted but to me that's being a little greedy uh so i kind of take a step back and i just kind of enjoy it and uh, you know i i love it i thought it was great stuff robert downey jr's it's amazing. I, I mean, his take on that character is is going to trump anybody's, you know what I mean? But, but, you know, when I was growing up, it was Michael Keaton's Batman. It was mm-hmm. about Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton's my Batman. My, Michael Keaton is still my Batman, by the way. But, you know, it, the names are synonymous forever. Like it will always be Tony Stark's Iron Man. Always, I mean, it'll always be Robin Downey Jr.'s Tony Stark. Uh, so, I mean, I I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled. With it. I'm thrilled with seeing kids come over every year for Halloween and, and they're in Iron Man armors. I mean, this this is a, the coolest stuff ever. And I I don't see any Wolverines, which is the exact opposite of what I thought I would have seen back when I was a you know a kid. So it's 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 cool. In fact, the entire comic book industry as a whole, part of me has that. Well, I looked it when it wasn't cool. Like I remember back when. Frank was at his comic shop and I ordered out of previews a Punisher skull shirt and I I showed up to high school in a Punisher skull shirt and people were like that is the coolest shit we have ever seen in our lives and now the Punisher skull is everywhere dude it's on like Half of the the bro trucks here in Texas. Half of the trucks have a Punisher logo on them in sun form. Like it, it's it's just, it's just everywhere. I guess being co-opted by cops, which is yeah really bizarre. Stop. <laughs> Makes no sense. And uh, I go to Target and I can buy. You know what I mean? They're just it's everywhere. Uh, so that kind of is a, that stings a little bit sometimes, but mm-hmm. probably for the greater good. I guess it's it's fine for the industry.
0: I, I, I hear, I feel the same pain as you. I mean, when you have hundreds, if not thousands, of Iron Man stories that you've kind of consumed and realize, well, there was only like three and a half or four movies. It's like, okay, yeah, they couldn't do everything, but if you just take it on what the stories that they were doing for the movie and what it was as a whole, I think it was really incredible. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, definitely like just you, the heart and soul of, of that universe, and what the MCU is without that presence, and without that anchor, um, I, I think it will probably feel very different. Um, I'm kind of at this point, I, I don't, I never wanted them to recast, or try and replace him with somebody like younger, or anything like that. I do think that within a few years, they could have somebody else take up the armor, or something like that. Not, like, not. God, no, not Spider-Man, don't do that, but, like, have a version of like the young avengers iron lad or something like that or the the new girl ironheart or something like that. I think they could have that as a sort of legacy picking up the armor and the look but doing something that is really unique to them and I don't think that would be Disrespectful to to Tony or that that character's legacy because for one thing I don't I mean I don't think anybody would ever draw the comparisons that uh, uh, to Robert Downey Jr. I mean that that performance is secure for history.
1: I agree to a point. I think that um, you have to do it. Like, it has to be like James Bond. You got to switch bonds a few times before people kind of get. Used to the fact that you switch James Bonds, right? Mm-hmm. You, you don't want to be the guy who, or the guy or lady who follows Robert Downey Jr., but probably the person after that is going to be just fine. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, but really, whoever is going to be next, whether it's Iron Lad or Iron Heart or whatever, it, it's going to be a tough sell. <laughs> I mean, everybody's going to compare them to Robert Downey Jr., and I just immediately feel bad for them, no matter what. Um, I, I think.
0: If it's either one of them, if it's a young black girl or, like, a teenage boy or something like that, it'll be so different that you won't make the comparison. Like, I, I think if they cast another actor in his 40s and said this is the new Iron Man, I think people would reject it wholeheartedly. I think if they went something that is like, okay, this isn't a Tony Stark type of character, then I think you might be playing it a little bit more safe.
1: Yeah, I, mean, I think that's probably the safer way to do it, but I still say people will still just be like, Why can't we just get Robert Downey Jr. back? We can't just glue his face onto somebody else's face with CGI or whatever. We can't grandma Tarkin him or something like that, <laughs> you know? Um, but what I, you know what I would like to see? I would like to see them maybe make a series of like super high budget animated Pixar style style films where you just get him to come in and voice it.
0: I would be fine like, with that.
1: Get get him and Chris Evans and Chris Hemsworth to voice some like really, really high budget, like a really high budget Disney Plus series. Cause we, we, I mean, I like think the Mandalorian showed, they mm-hmm. go high, plenty budget for these uh, Disney Plus shows. If you were saying you were bringing back Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans for a yeah. like a a Tales of Suspense yeah. prequel, I mean- Just
0: say this takes place between Iron Man 2 and Iron Man 3 or something like that. Yeah. Right,
1: and people are signing them up. They will sign you up right there. Uh, and I don't think, but I'm sure Robert's gonna want to get paid for that. But, you know, and I don't know if Disney plus generates that kind of cash, but I, I think that to me, that would be a good way to chill people out. Yeah. Cause a lot of people want him to just come. Oh, they traveled their time. Can not we just bring him back? And it's like, no, no, let's not do that. I, not also, do
0: that. I, I think the actor legitimately wants to take a rest and I, I can't, you know, I can't fault him for that.
1: <laughs> well, Ryan, how many do littles are you going to make before you realize <laughs> maybe you need to come back to the uh, Marvel cinematic universe? I mean, I don't know if you listen to that Joe Rogan, uh, interview with him when he was doing the doolittle tour Mm -mm. and rogan's like dude you got to come back and be iron man surely you can still come back and be iron man and you can tell he was just like grating like i don't want to do it anymore dude (laughs) but he was also like really complimentary of the fact that they know how to make movies at marvel where it's like it's like a machine he's like i know exactly where i need to show up i know exactly what i need to do he's like i tell him i don't want to put all the stupid armor on anymore and they're like cool you don't have to We'll, we'll just put this put some dots on your shirt and and I, I think that as much as he wanted to act like, oh, it's so not cool to do a superhero movie, he couldn't help but really compliment how good they are at it and how much fun he had doing it. So, again, I think a couple of – I mean, he may have some bombs out there and suddenly he's like, eh, man, you know what? I'll do a voiceover for a live action – for a you know Pixar movie or something. Who cares?
0: Well, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, until then, yeah, uh, thank you very much, Mac, for uh, coming on this episode and doing this with me. Where else can people find you if they want to hear more about you in the podcastosphere?
1: Anytime, my friend. All right, you can find us at Rolled Spine on Twitter. Links to all of our blogs and podcasts can be found there. We talk TV shows, uh, including Briscoe County Jr. We talk music with our uh, podcast called One Song Each, where we pick a song and explain what it means. To do with other TV shows like Buck F and Rogers, where we talk about Buck Rogers. We do movie reviews, comics. Uh, We have a great podcast called Spawnometer where we're following Spawn issue by issue by issue and also touching on where Image Comics was at that time. We work blue, so we got B words, F words, P words, S words, D words, C words, MF words, SOBs, and whatnot. We take words you don't even think would you be offended by, and we somehow make them offensive. Um, It's uncomfortable and frankly bizarre uh, interjecting of political and social commentary. We got the market covered on it. It's content you can't find anywhere else, my friends. So please come tune in and listen.
0: Thank you very much for coming on the show and helping me talk about one of my favorite characters by one of my favorite creators. Listeners, thank you for tuning in as well. If you liked our discussion, please support the show on social media by liking or favoriting the posts on Facebook and Twitter. You can also leave a comment on the episode post at fireandwaterpodcast.com. You can always go to iTunes and leave a nice five-star review for FW Presents or any other show on the Fire and Water Network. For more information on how you can support the network, visit patreon.com slash fwpodcasts. Thank you for listening. Even when you turn your-